Thank you. It's uh, great to be here with all of you this morning. Um, as uh, mentioned, I currently serve as the associate pastor at Mercy Hill Church. Uh, just a little bit about myself. Prior to that, I served as a youth pastor and then the English lead pastor at Chinese for Christ Church of San Jose for about 17 years. And so um, born and raised and educated in the Bay Area, as he mentioned, uh, went to Cal. So any other Cal alumni here? All right, don't be ashamed, it's okay, all right? Uh, my wife, on the other hand, she went to the school across the bay from Cal that shall not be named, okay? So, um, but, so basically lived in the Bay Area all my life and then went out to the East Coast for four years where I did my seminary studies in the Boston area. Uh, married, coming up on 16 years next month. Um, my wife is the techie in our family. She's worked for Intel for 23 years. So it's the only company she's worked for since grad school and still continues to work there. As you can see in the picture earlier, I've got three boys. Dominic is in ninth grade, Isaac is in sixth grade, and Lucas is three years old going on 13. So he wants to be like his older brothers all the time. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, both my parents are Christian. My maternal grandmother, who's 98, is a believer and really kind of an example of faith to me, um, who's like my second mom. Uh, my dad is KBC, uh, Korean-born Chinese. Uh, my mom is TBC, Taiwan-born Chinese, and I'm CBC, California-born Chinese. So uh, you can ask me sometime about the, an argument I got into a friend in elementary school. Uh, he was Korean-American, and we had an argument about whether kimchi was Chinese food or Korean food. Okay, so... Uh, and mentioned before, I've, I guess some of your faces look familiar when we did the Zoom retreat a couple years ago. So, um, and that was, I think, back in 2020. Is that correct? I have no idea. It seems like so long ago. So, uh, but it's great to be with uh, all of you. It's crazy to think. I mean, yeah, it's been two plus years since COVID hit. Um, you know, uh, all the. Uh, the changes uh, that churches have had to go through and adjustments, and it's great to see uh, all of you uh, here gathered together, um, despite the rain, despite the cold weather. And uh, I know for many pastors, the past couple years has been really challenging. Probably in chatting with a lot of pastor friends, the most difficult years of ministry. The most difficult years of ministry. And uh, you guys have been blessed and are blessed to have Pastor Ulysses and uh, Christine as your pastor. And by the way, uh, do you know what next month is? It's October. Do you know what October is? It is actually Pastor's Appreciation Month. And so there's a Pastor Appreciation Day. I think it's the 2nd October. But I think they expanded the holiday to a whole month because most churches forget, you know. So if you miss that Sunday, you still have an opportunity. And so I want to encourage you, and he's not here, um, to, you know, do something for him and his family uh, to make sure they know that they're appreciated and loved uh, just as much as they have uh, loved you and served you. And so uh, that's a little bit about me. So uh, as a family, we love playing board games and card games. Uh, Settlers of Catan, for those of you that are into board games, Ticket to Ride, Sushi Go. A new one that we recently started playing was called Uno Flip. So it's like a Uno, except there's two sides to the card, and so it adds a lot of variance and fun to it. Uh, there's this one game that uh, I don't know many of you may or may not have heard. It's called Tribond. Anybody ever heard of Tribond? It's kind of an obscure game, but basically the premise of the game is you get these cards and on these cards are listed three seemingly unrelated things or items. And the object of the game is to try to guess what these three things have in common. All right, so for example, you know, on a card it might say tree, elephant, car. What do those three things have in common? They all have trunks, that's right, very good, right? Or let's say softball, baseball, vampire. What do those things have in common? 
bats, right? So I'll give you a couple to play along, okay? So how about this one? Pump, flat, and clog. Pump, flat, and clog. What do those three things have in common? Anybody know? I know the guys aren't going to get this, but the ladies might. Pump, flat, and clog. Shoes, exactly, okay? Uh, how about this one? Conspirators, novels, and cemeteries. Conspirators, novels, and cemeteries. What do these three things have in common? They all have plots or plots. Conspirators plot, novels have a plot, and cemeteries have plots, okay? All right, last one here, okay? How about a joke, a safe, and a whip. A joke, a safe, and a whip. What do these three things have in common? Any idea? They're all things that are cracked. You crack a joke, right? You crack a safe or you break into a safe, and right, you crack a whip, right? And kind of the fun thing about this game is you're, uh, you're trying to connect things that seem at first glance unrelated, right? I remember one time we were playing this game, we we're like, are they sure there's something connected, you know, or something common, right? And the question I have for you this morning, right, and as we think about this game, Tribon, where you really kind of have to stretch your mind and kind of look at things from different angles and perspectives to tie three seemingly unrelated things together, right? And this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, and it's really going to confront us and the question for us to think about is how do you, how do we see the church? How do we see the church? How do we see ourselves and how do we see one another as the body of Christ, as the church community? All right? And it's going to address the importance of even why we gather together on a Sunday morning. Right? And this morning's passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, and this sermon is going to serve as a reminder uh, for those of you that are Christians, perhaps those of you that are members of the church, those of you wanting to learn or better understand what is the Christian faith about, what is the church about, or even for maybe those of you that are wondering, maybe, should I be a member, should I not, should I go to a community group or not, should I go to this retreat or not, okay? And so before we look into God's word this morning, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you, Lord, for... Uh, this local body, this community, God, of believers and saints. God, I thank you for the joy and the blessing it is for us to gather, to be able to sing to you, God, uh, to be able to worship you through singing and through music. And so, Lord, we ask that as we direct our hearts to your word, Lord, would you continue to help us to worship you through the reading of your word, the hearing of your word, and the preaching of your word. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, God, be pleasing and honoring to you. And Lord, would your spirit open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and open our hearts, God, to know you more. And so, Lord, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me or... or Click with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 7, 27. It's a longer passage, uh, but I'm going to read all of it. And so if you want to just follow along with me in your Bibles or on your phones. And so the Word of God reads in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For it is in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, 
and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We'll stop here. This morning's sermon is titled, Unity, Diversity, and Community. And those are really my three main points. Now we're going to look at in verses 12 to 13, what is the basis of our unity? How are we united as a church? In verses 14 to 20, we're going to look at diversity. How do we see and deal with differences, we're all different, in the church? And lastly, in verses 21 to 27, we're going to see community. What does it look like to live life together in community as a church? Right. The context of this passage, usually at my church, I'm sure, I think Pastor Ulysses does this too, we usually preach through books of the Bible, right, chapter by chapter. And so I'm kind of diving in right here in the middle of 1 Corinthians. Right? But one of the things that we see here is that throughout the New Testament, Paul writes lots of letters predominantly to what? Not individuals, but to what? Churches. Right? And so oftentimes when we read the New Testament, when Paul's writing a letter, let's say to the Ephesians, when he says you, he's not addressing one individual, he's addressing who? a church body, a church community, right? And one of the common topics that Paul addresses or writes about in many of these letters is this idea of unity or being one. In Romans 12, 4 to 5, he reminds them that they are one body. In Ephesians 4, he talks about being one body, one spirit. In Colossians 3, 12 to 15, he reminds them that they are one body in Christ. And one of the things we know about the letter of 1 Corinthians is that Paul writes this addressing various divisions within the Corinthian church. Right? Uh, there are factions within the Corinthian church about which leader they followed. Right? Like, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Jesus. Right? There are divisions between believers and within the church suing one another, taking each other to court. There's even sexual immorality where this person was having an affair with this person's spouse. Right? There's even division over communion and how they went about taking it. And all this leads to chapter 12, where the church was divided, even about spiritual gifts, right? Division over spiritual gifts. Which ones were better? Which ones were more important? Which ones were not as important? And one of the things we see in the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the things we see in the early church, and we see even today, 
is the natural propensity and proclivity of the church, of us as people, to subdivide and divide due to our human nature and due to our sinful nature. Right? And what Paul writes here in verses 12 to 13 is he's reminding them right, of the unity that they have, that they're one body, they're a community of believers right, that is centered around Christ Jesus. It's funny, uh, many people, especially those today kind of in our generation, right, in our culture now, we go, oh, you know, if our church could only be like the early church, you know, in the New Testament, everything would be awesome and perfect. All you have to do is read from Acts and on and see that early church had just as many issues as the local church and as churches have today, right? Just read through it, and you see this in 1 Corinthians, right? People suing one another, all divided over all these different issues, right? And what we see is that divisions in the church are no less different today than they were back in the first century, right? And it's because, as people, we oftentimes just naturally will, will kind of subdivide or look at others and compare and all these things which we're gonna get into, right? But when we, re- when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what we see in verses 12 to 13 is this reminder, right, that while there are many parts, what? He uses this image, right, of the body, Right? It's a body or analogy. And we see this kind of everywhere in a lot of different things. Right? You think about you know, the praise and worship team. Right? They're a team, but composed of different instruments. You've got the guitarist, the vocalist, the drum, the bass, the keyboard. Right? All different parts, but yet what? One team. Right? For those of you that are in sports, it's you know, football Sunday. Right? You think about an NFL team and all the different positions that there are. Right? But yet, different positions, but yet what? One team. Wear the same jersey. Right? You think about food, okay? My favorite food is Mexican food. I love burritos, okay? Think about what makes a burrito a burrito. Right? You got the tortilla, you got the carne asada, you got the beans, the rice, the pico de gallo, right? The cheese, the guacamole, the sour cream. All right, I'm getting hungry now, right? But all those things make a glorious, delicious burrito. Right? And what we see here in verses 12 to 13 is the reminder of what is the basis of our unity. And what we see here in verses 12 and 13 is that we are united in Christ through the Spirit. Notice here, it says in verse 13, it says, For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Right? He's reminding his readers, as the Word of God reminds us this morning, that what unites us, what unites you and the person next to you, behind you, in front of you, around you, what unites us as the church is who? It's Jesus. Right? It's the Holy Spirit. Right? That's why we can call one another brothers and sisters in Christ. That we are family. Regardless of the differences Right? Remember the commonality that you and I, that we share together as the body of Christ. Right? Um, I mentioned before, I went to a seminary out on the East Coast. And uh, being out there, there weren't as many folks from California. Like, I was one of the few Californians there. Okay? And I remember my second year, I found out there was another student from California. And I got really excited. Okay? Uh, I found out he was from a city or town called Hanford, California. Anybody know where Hanford is? Yeah, I didn't either. Okay, so uh, it's in central California, a really small town. And so I found out this classmate of mine was from Hanford, California, right? But even though I had no idea where Hanford was, right, and he grew up in a very different kind of cultural context background than I did, like we clung together like two peas in a pod, 
You know, during those harsh New England winters, we would commiserate at just about how cold it was, right? And, you know, when we would go out to eat, we would miss, like, good Mexican food, or, you know, we would just be like, oh, I, I really want an In-N-Out double-double, right? And it's funny, because when you looked at us, he was like six foot three, you know, Caucasian guy. I'm like, you know, five foot five on a good day, right? Chinese-American, right? Uh, if you looked at us, we didn't really have much in common, right? But the fact we were both Californians. Right. And I remember even when I was driving along in Boston, you know, anytime I saw a car with a California plate, I like kind of smiled, you know, let them cut in front of me. And, you know, I had no idea who they were. Right. But just seeing that California plate on the back of that car, I would feel this bond or this commonality that we had. Right. And what the Apostle Paul is reminding us here in verses 12 and 13, shouldn't that be the way for us as Christians and as the church? That despite whatever differences we may have, right, that we are united in and through Christ Jesus, right? And that is really the source of unity in the church. A.W. Tozer has a wonderful quote uh, in his book, The Pursuit of God. He writes, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork, you guys know what a tuning fork is, right? Okay, all right. Are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer than they, than they could possibly be where they become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. What A.W. Tozer is saying is that the, the path, the, 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 the route through which we pursue unity as a church is not to pursue unity or to pursue each other, but ultimately to pursue Christ and remember the commonality that we have in and through him, right? Let me ask you this morning, what ties you together as a church? Is it primarily our age? Is it our interests? Is it our life stage, our socioeconomic status, our personalities? our political views, the sports team we cheer for, or is it Jesus who unites us, you and the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, right? And that's what we see here in verses 12 and 13. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, right? Despite all these differences, that they are and can be united in and through Christ Jesus, right? And that's the first point we see here in verses 12 to 13, Paul reminds the Corinthian church as he reminds you, you, and you, right, that you are united in and through Christ Jesus by his spirit. The second thing we see in verses 14 to 20 is diversity. What we're going to see here in verses 14 to 20, as we read earlier, is that unity is not uniformity or conformity, but true unity in Christ is revealed through its diversity. Let me repeat that again. True unity in Christ is not uniformity or conformity, but true unity in Christ is revealed through its diversity. Right? He gives us this picture of the body. Right? Consider the human body. There's over 200 bones in the body. Right? You got the skull, the ribs, the spine, the pelvis, the femur, all these other parts of the body I forgot. Okay? Right? But think about how many different types of bones there are in the body. And then you think about all the different organs in the body. Your liver, your stomach, your intestine, your kidney, your lungs, your heart, your skin, 
right? And just think for a moment right now, if you can with me, just take a deep breath. Right? And just think for a moment, as you take that breath, how many different parts of your body are working, right? In unison, right, to bring oxygen to your whole body to keep you alive. But yet think about all the different parts of the body, right, that are involved in just one inhale, one exhale, right? Consider the differences in the early church, what we saw earlier, right, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. There were, there were all these different spiritual gifts. People, you know, had different abilities and giftings from God, right? We see in the 1 Corinthian church, in the early church, different ethnicity, different race, Right? Corinth as a major metropolitan city was a major tra trade route where ships would come and go. And so we know it was a very diverse city, right? much like New York or San Francisco, Oakland, LA. Right? But not only that, what we saw earlier is that there were also very different socioeconomic levels. Slaves, indebted servants, and free, and those in between. Right? All this diversity, all these differences, right? but yet, together reveal the glory of Christ and united by Christ, right? But just like a, a body, I guess maybe to use this analogy, like a, a healthy body is healthy, but an unhealthy body oftentimes has viruses, right, that, that can impact the health of the body. And what we, what we see here in verses 14 through 20 are some maybe different viruses that may infiltrate and affect the health of the local church body. Right? Look with me in verses 15 to 16 here. It says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And one of the things we see here is kind of this virus of comparison, of envy, or perhaps even pride right? within the body. I remember uh, growing up, um, my hated, I hated, I absolutely hated it when my parents would compare me to other kids. I'm sure none of your parents ever did that, right? But I remember my mom saying, well, why can't you do as well in math as so-and-so, right? Did you hear so-and-so got into this school, right? But yet, looking back, it's kind of ironic because I also compared my parents to other kids' parents too, Right, I'd be like, Mom, why can't you be like in so-and-so? They just let you know, them do whatever, right? So I guess we're both guilty parties, right? But there's a very real danger in the church body when it comes to unity when we start comparing, all right? Because what happens when you compare? What happens when you compare? Either you're going to feel inferior or you're going to feel what? Superior, right? Either you're going to feel inferior, you're going to feel less than those around you, or <laughs> you'll feel above others, right? And what we see here in verses 15 and 16 is this comparison, right? The different parts of the body, right? The foot says, I'm not a hand, right? If we're honest, right? The hand is more important than the foot, right? So then the foot feels what? Neglected. Well, I'm not a hand. He's comparing himself, right? To the other part of the body. And because he's not a hand, now he feels what? Inferior, right? And what happens when we feel inferior? We can feel jealous, we can feel bitter, we can feel resentful, we can feel anger, right? Sometimes maybe in the church, we're like, well, I can't do this, I can't play guitar, I can't sing. What am I useful, what good am I here at this church? What can I offer, right? When we see here is this sin or this virus of comparison can affect the unity 
in the church. And oftentimes it results, as I mentioned, to jealousy and bitterness. I remember as a young pastor, as I mentioned before, I've been pastoring now close to 20 years, but I remember when I first started serving at my previous church, you know, it'd be very easy as a pastor to compare myself to other pastors, you know? Like, man, I wish I was as dynamic as this person here. I, w- I wish I was more of a visionary leader like so-and-so. And, you know, in seminary, I made some very good uh, friends from seminary, guys I still keep in touch with, you know, and I'd oftentimes compare myself to them. You know, some of them, you know, have written books, have spoken at conferences with thousands of people, and if I mentioned their names, you would all recognize them and probably have read some of their books. And it'd be very easy for me to kind of compare myself to them. But what I realized was as I was comparing myself to them, I could feel my heart get bitter and resentful, you know? Where as they were uh, having much ministry success, instead of rejoicing, I would be what? Jealous and envy, right? And that's a dangerous virus in the church, right? A sin of comparison and and oftentimes in fear. And on the flip side, the sin of superiority or pride, right? We go, well, look at me. Look at all the things I do in this church. This church needs me, right? Without me, this church is gonna fall apart. Right? And what do we do? We look down on others. Right? And we don't celebrate and rejoice and recognize the ways others, other parts of the body are doing its part. Maybe not as glamorous, right? Maybe not as quote unquote important, but still important to be a part of the body. Right? Let me ask you, has this virus of comparison infiltrated this church body? Has it affected and infected perhaps your heart? this morning as you think about one another, right? And perhaps maybe for some of us, that's why we don't gather together or don't join a small group or maybe we keep certain people at arm's length is because if we're really honest, right, we were bitter towards them, resentful towards them. Or we just think, oh, why would I associate and talk to those people over there in the church, right? And this is what we see here in verses 15 and 16. Right? This virus of comparison. The second thing we see in verses 17 to 20 is this distorted understanding of what unity is. Look at verse 17. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. All right, I think oftentimes, as I mentioned before, we think of unity as conformity, Right? Or everyone being the same, right? Oh, that's how we were united. But we see again here in this passage, right, as we think about the body analogy, is no. Oftentimes we have a distorted understanding of what unity is. Unity is not conformity, it is not uniformity. Right? Just think about this. Uh, this church would be a very scary group of people, okay, if everyone was like Pastor Ulysses. Okay? I love him and respect him, but it would be weird, okay, if everyone's like him, right? And the church would be a very scary group of people in place if everyone was like me. And, or if everyone was like you. Right? Uh, Gordon Fee, New Testament scholar, writes, he says, if all the parts were of one kind, meaning the same, there would be no body at all, only a monstrosity. Right? Just imagine if the body of Christ was just one huge eyeball. Right, be like Mike Wazowski, right? Except he at least has arms and legs, right? But it'd be like messed up. That's not a body, that's just an eye, right? But oftentimes when we think of the church community, when we think of the church body, as we think of unity, we oftentimes think of uniformity or conformity. Everything is the same. 
And what the Apostle Paul is trying to address and remind us is that no, is that in its diversity, we're united in Christ and we celebrate and recognize right, the diversity of the local church, whether it's through its spiritual gifts, whether through personalities, interest, ethnicity, culture, whatever it is, right? That unity is not conformity, right, or uniformity, but true unity in Christ is revealed through its diversity, right? And I think one of the things I want to highlight here in verse 19 is look at verse 19, it's, or verse 18. It says, uh, but as it is, okay, look at very key verse here, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. You see that here? That it isn't just by accident or chance that you are here a part of this church community. It isn't just by accident or chance that you have certain burdens and interests and abilities or cultural background, socioeconomic background, whatever it is, right? But it is by God's sovereignty that you are brought here into this community, this body. And that each part, right, is not by accident, but by God's sovereignty, Right? And I think one of the really interesting things, especially in our kind of social media digital age where, you know, you could friend someone online and unfriend them. You could follow someone and unfollow them, right? And even when you go to restaurants, oftentimes you can go and go, you know what, uh, give me this order, but I don't want the beans. Can you add this and all these things, right? We can customize everything, right? You can do a la carte, right? But when it comes to the church community, there's no a la carte option. You just get the combo special and all that it is. That's it. There's no like, throw out the onions. I don't like onions. No, you got onions. All right, there's no like, oh, I don't like cilantro. No, there's cilantro. You're getting the whole thing because that's what the chef is making and that's what you're going to eat, right? And that's what Paul's reminding us here too, right? That we don't get to kind of pick and choose. But we get the whole, whole thing. The combination number one, that's it. <laughs> All right? So diversity. Third and final point we see here is community in verses 21 to 27. 21 to 27. All right. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. I think another virus that oftentimes infects and affects the local church body, right, is this virus of independence, right, this sin of self-reliance versus dependence on each other. You notice here in verse 21, look at what it says. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, right, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What's it emphasizing here in verse 21 is this, idea of need or dependency, right? And we know that, right? We know that. If our body parts could talk, right, they wouldn't say, oh, all right, I don't need you, I don't need you, right? We know that all the parts need one another, right? And I remember experiencing this very real firsthand um, back in 2002. I mentioned I went to seminary out on the East Coast, and one of the dumbest things I ever did was play tackle football in the snow, okay, with a bunch of guys that are like twice my size, height, and twice my weight, okay? So we were playing tackle football in the snow. Snow was like up to our knees, right? And one of my friends who's like 6'2", 6'3", probably 220, 230, has the ball and he's running at me, right? And so what do I do? What do I do? I try to stop him, tackle him, right? And how do I try to tackle him? I stick out my left arm thinking that this little thing is going to stop a six foot two, six foot three, 220 pound guy. And you know what happens? You know what happened? 
He ran straight through it. I heard a pop, and then I didn't feel anything, right? My arm was just limp, and being the dumb single guy that I was, like, I just kept on playing for another, like, 20 minutes, and then I realized something's wrong, okay? I can't, like, literally, I was like, I, I can't move it, right? And basically, it was partially dislocated, right? And then eventually, it kind of slid back in, and then I felt all sorts of pain, right? And basically, for the next, like, six months, I had to do physical therapy, all this stuff to kind of strengthen the ligaments and all those things. But literally, like, my left arm was, like, useless. And I realized how much I needed the other body parts, right? So I'm right-handed, and so I know my right hand is important, but things like putting on a seatbelt, usually I just use my left hand, you know, and kind of go whoosh, right? And I was like, oh, I gotta use my right hand, you know, to pull this over, right? And I realized, right, it wasn't like my right hand was like, ah, you know, we don't need you left arm anymore, right? It just, I just realized how dependent I was on my left arm, my left hand, right? And I think sometimes, right, we think we don't need certain parts, right? But the Apostle Paul here reminds us we can't say that, because the reality is we do. It's not just a, notice here, it's not just a, oh, it'd be nice to have a hand. Oh, if I could have the option of having a left arm, that'd be great. No, it's I need, right? That we need each other to be a healthy body. There's, there's no such thing as an independent Christian or a solo Christian. And I believe, especially during these past couple years with COVID, online church, all these things, that it's been very easy for us to, in some ways, become more independent and self-isolating. In some ways, I think our, our muscles of leaning on one another have atrophied, right? That doing church online, in some ways, it becomes about just me and God instead of we, us, and God, right? with online church and just kind of keeping folks at a distance, you know, we can hide and not be known by others, right? We can not be known by others and we can also not know others. We, for, we, can, it can, easily be, we, we can easily just not need others and forget that we also are needed by others, right? It can be easily to kind of just, you know, not be inconvenienced by others, but also not inconvenience others. Right? Um, one author writes, uh, Sherry Turkle, in her book, Alone Together, she says, our networked life allows us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. Right? So this sense of that, oh, we're kind of really connected, but yeah, we are, but we're not. Right? And one of the beautiful things I love on a Sunday morning is you know, as we uh, sing and worship to God, that on one hand, we are singing, obviously, to God, right? Like, Everything is for the glory of God. But yet, you ever think about this, that on a Sunday morning when we're gathered together and singing, that we're also singing to one another? Right? Uh, I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, as a pastor, you know, on a Sunday morning, you know, it, it's been a rough week, or I'm not feeling good about the sermon, or things at home are challenging, and, you know, we'll be singing a song, and honestly, sometimes I just don't feel like singing it. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm just going to listen to the words. I'll pray the words as a prayer to God. Right? But so many Sundays, like just hearing the congregation, hearing you all, hearing one another sing, actually spurs me on in my faith. Right? And that's not something you can get online at home. You know? I remember when we were doing church online, my, my oldest son's like, Dad, can you not sing as loud? <laughs> right? right? It's not Christian karaoke at home, right? 
It's worship together, and we're also worship as we sing. Right, we're singing upwards to God. We're singing inwards to one another, and we're also singing outwards to the world as a testimony. Right, and what we see here in verses twenty-one and twenty-two is this idea of dependency on the entire body, not just certain parts. One of the things you know to think about is, uh, for me as a pastor, I pray this often, but I think it's also helpful for us as being part of the church is actually to think about all the different people that make up your community group or that make up your church and to actually prayerfully ask God, God, why is this person a part of our church? And what ways do we as a church need that person? And also flip that question around and say, Lord, as I'm a part of this church body, what are the ways that this church body needs me? Right? Because if we believe in the sovereignty of God, that God has placed each part where it is according to his purpose, and there's a purpose and a reason. Uh, confession time, when I was in youth ministry, uh, there was this one uh, student who was kind of special needs, okay, um, named Alan. And to be honest, I, I cringed every time he showed up to youth group, okay? That's just my sin, my kind of confession, right? And so I'd be almost happy when he didn't show up to youth group, okay? Because whenever he did, he would cause a lot of commotion, right? There are certain kind of social dynamics that he wasn't always aware of, and he oftentimes would speak out of turn, right? So it was just very destructive. And I remember I really wrestled with that as a youth pastor. I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. I should love everyone, right? And even thinking when I was reading through this passage many years ago, I was like, okay, so why is Alan a part of our youth group? Why is he a part of our church? To be honest, I didn't feel like we needed him at all, right? But I remember, uh, so my church used to, my former church used to do this joint youth retreat with some other churches, and we would take these charter buses to a location about like three hours away. And I remember at the, at the end of one retreat, which Alan attended, uh, being one of the leaders, I had to make sure, you know, we didn't abandon or leave any of the kids at the retreat site, right? So I was one of the last folks on the bus, and the bus was completely full except for one empty seat next to guess who? Alan, right? And I was like, oh. I got to sit next to him for three hours, right? And so, of course, I was going to stand on the bus for three hours, right? So I sat next to him. And I remember, that's one of the most formative spiritual experiences I've had in my Christian faith, that sitting next to him for three hours, God opened my eyes and God opened my heart to see Alan as God had created him. And... Like, just thinking about Alan, like, I smile. You know, and, and th- we were just talking, and I got frustrated at times, but it was like God had peeled back something. He had softened my heart to see that Alan is such an important part of my church and of my youth group, right? And it's not something that I could just say kind of theoretically, but something I experience in the depth of my heart, Right? And what we see here in this passage here is this question of, do we see one another as being needed by each other? And do we see ourselves as being needed by the church community? Right? It says each part needs one another. Even the parts that may seem like, what's going on? Right? And that's one of the challenges and one of the joys you get to go through. Okay, Lord, why is this annoying person in my community group part of our community group? Right? And that's what we see. And the second and last thing we see in verses of 22 to 25, we see this virus, right, of kind of a, having a worldly or distorted view of how we see the body. You notice in verse 22 to 25, it talks about those that, we, that, are, that seem less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and those that are already kind of presentable, we kind of don't need to worry about, 
right? And what we see here in verses 20 to 25 is kind of the up down, upside down nature of God's kingdom, right? The first shall be last, and what? The last shall be first, right? And in our society, in our culture, right, we highlight and lift up those who are already honored, right? Celebrities, athletes, musicians, CEOs, right? they already get a lot of press, and then they get even more press, Right, magazines like People, Sports Illustrated, whatever it is, right? They always have their top 10 most whatever, right? Keep on more praise and attention. You just Google, there's like all these fan sites of everyone and everything, right? People that already have a lot of attention, who already receive a lot of honor, get even more, right? But what we see here when it comes to the church, the community of Christ, the body of Christ, we have a different view right, of who we honor and what we honor. In some ways, we don't need to honor the pastors or the worship leaders and those that are up on stage. They already, in some ways, receive visual and kind of honor, right? But what would it look like as a church community if we honor and gave special attention to those parts that are, quote, unquote, not as presentable or more behind the scenes? Like those that do the sound system, those that are here early on a Sunday morning, setting up and moving things, do we as a church celebrate and honor those individuals? Those that are working with kids and wiping noses and taking kids to the potty, right? Do we celebrate those parts of the body that are kind of more hidden and obscure and that may not be as visible on a Sunday morning or in our day-to-day, week-to-week life as a church? So many of you are gonna hate me, but I'm a diehard New England sports fan, okay? And I love Tom Brady, okay? So, um, and I'm very sad that he's on the Buccaneers now, but uh, when Tom Brady, who's a quarterback for the New England Patriots football team, for those of you that are not into sports, okay? So um, when he was kind of rising to prominence, uh, you know, he started getting a lot of endorsement deals, right? And so, you know, as a quarterback of a team, you get a lot of endorsement deals. But one really cool situation story that, that, uh, that happened was that, you know, Tom Brady, being the quarterback, and really, like such a team player, right? Um, he wanted to involve other teammates in these endorsements. And so he had this contract or opportunity you know, to promote Visa, uh, the credit card, right? And what he said to Visa, he said, you know what, I don't want it to be just about me. I want to involve my team. And he didn't call on the running backs or the wide receivers. He actually said, I want my offensive linemen, these are the big guys that all they do is they kind of push each other as my wife calls it, okay? Right, they just block. Right? And these usually, no offense, but offensive linemen are usually not the most glamorous, good looking guys either, right? And so, but he, Tom Brady said, I wanted them in the commercial. Right? And you can Google it to this day. You can YouTube it. Basically, there's a, you know, Tom Brady commercial visa. And basically, in the commercial, he hardly gets any of the spotlight, the attention. It's all on the offensive linemen. Isn't that amazing? And I remember when I said, saw that story or heard that, I said, wow, that's such a beautiful picture of what the church should be like. Right? That we honor those parts that are quote unquote less presentable, that maybe society may seem are less useful or worthy, but not so in the kingdom of God. Right? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Right? And the last thing we see, virus number five, we see it says in verse 25 and 26 that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have, notice here, the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together, right? We see here one of the kind of the antidotes to the poison of division 
uh, or the virus of division is compassion or love. Right? The word compassion comes from the Latin phrase that basically means to suffer with or to suffer alongside. Right? What does it look like for us as a healthy church body right, to suffer alongside one another and to be able to rejoice with one another as well? And oftentimes we are not able to do so because if we're honest, we have a hardened heart towards one another. Right? Whether it's out of jealousy, whether it's out of bitterness, whether it's out of resentment, or just, ah, those aren't the type of people I associate with or hang out with. Right? In the church community, there should be no such thing as private or personal suffering or private or personal celebration. It should all be shared as a church body. Right? Um, when I was doing youth ministry, uh, I remember around springtime is when the high school students would hear back about colleges Right? And it could be like a very awkward time. It's like, oh, your best friend got into the college that you wanted and you got rejected. Right? And I remember even seeing like some friendships dissolve because of that. Right? And I remember when I was in youth ministry, I would challenge our high school seniors and say, what would it look like for you to be able to rejoice and celebrate with your best friend who got into your dream school that you got rejected from? Right? And what it looked like for, you know, for the best friend to weep with her best friend, you know, who got rejected by the school that she got into, right? Uh, you know, at my previous church, we had some couples that struggled with uh, infertility. You know, they wanted children, you know, year after year, just no children, right? And I remember as I was walking through uh, some of these couples through that, I said, you know, uh, what does it look like to rejoice and genuinely celebrate with those other couples that are expecting? And to those couples that are expecting, I would encourage, remind them, what does it look like? On one hand, you're celebrating, and you should be grateful, but what does it look like for you to come alongside and weep with those other couples that just, for whatever reason, are not able to conceive? Right? Even as a church, uh, what does it look like for us as a church to rejoice and celebrate with other churches? And what does it look like for us as a church to weep and grieve with other churches as we hear about other churches going through difficult situations or splitting up or whatever it is, right? And the thing is, how do we do this if we're not seeing each other gather together, living life in community with one another, right? That's why when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right, as it's talking about spiritual gifts, but really the unity of the body, right, it leads into, look at what chapter follows chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians. What's chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians about? It's about love, Right? And oftentimes this gets used in weddings, right? Like, oh, you know, right? But remember, the context of this passage is not about, primarily about love between a husband and a wife. It is actually about love within the church community. Right? Its immediate context is the local church. What does it look like for us as a church to love one another? Right? And we're reminded we are able to love, we are able to have compassion, we're able to grieve, we're able to celebrate Right? Because God first loved us through Christ Jesus. We're able to mourn with others because Christ mourns with us. We're able to celebrate with others right? because God celebrates us through Christ Jesus. Right? As one author writes, the Christian life is more than a commitment to Christ. It's not just a vertical relationship. It includes a commitment to other Christians, the horizontal. Right? This morning, as we uh, close, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. I think there's a couple things we need to be reminded of as, as we s conclude. One is remembering the unity 
that we have in Christ through the Holy Spirit. All right, the second is keeping in mind that unity is not conformity, but diversity and leaning into that and celebrating right, the unique ways God has created each and every one of you. But not only that, it's growing as a community, growing as a community and compassion for one another. Right? And ultimately, it is for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. Right? You see, we as individual Christians and as a church, we're all works in progress. Right? We all haven't arrived. But let us continue to hold on to the gospel which you received, in which you stand, in which you're being saved. Right? You see, unity, diversity, and community, it isn't just for your good or for my good or for your growth or for my growth. But as I mentioned earlier, it's ultimately for the spread of the gospel and the glory of God. Right? Just turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 20 to 23. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. This is uh, part of Jesus' prayer, what it's oftentimes referred to as a high priestly prayer. And in John chapter 17, we get to kind of eavesdrop on Jesus, God the Son, praying to God the Father. Right? Like very intimate prayer. Well, I want to highlight what Jesus prays for in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, referring to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, which is all of us, right? That they, that is disciples, believers, Christians, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Right, do you see what Jesus is praying for here? He's not just praying for the unity of the church, right, just so that's a good thing, right, for the church itself, right, but rather the unity of the church, right, the compassion of the church for one another, love of the church for one another, right, is one of the most powerful witnesses to the world, right? That as the world looks at the church and says, wow, you interact with those people and you spend time with those people? You guys are so different. Why would you do that? That our only response isn't, well, we went to the same college together, that's why. But rather, you know what? It's because of Christ Jesus, the bond that we have through the Spirit, through Christ the Son. And as we close this morning, what I'd like us to do is just to spend some time uh, in silent reflection, prayer, uh, to respond to God's word. Maybe it's acknowledging ways that even though you're a part of this body, you're not really a part of this body. That you're still an independent part. Maybe it's confessing areas in your life where, if you're honest, there is bitterness, resentment, anger, jealousy towards some other individuals in this church community. Maybe it's even acknowledging some of the obstacles or perhaps sins which prevent you from really diving in, not just dipping your toes into this church, but diving in completely. Maybe it's, to be honest, just a, making a commitment to worship in person rather than just watching online each week. Right? Or perhaps maybe it's just praying for this church body that God has blessed you with, that you would continue to grow in greater unity by the Spirit grounded in Jesus. And so I want to give you a couple of minutes just in silent reflection and prayer, and I'll close us in a minute in prayer, okay? So let's just do that now.